Welcome to this episode of ClearedCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates, and our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. First, a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Veterans in Data Science and Machine Learning, a group that focuses on the care and feeding of data scientists and machine learning engineers who share in the common bond of U.S. military service. Their community is for U.S. military veterans and active duty service members who currently practice or desire to upskill into data analytics, business analytics, data science, machine learning, and deep learning. Learn more at vetsindatascience.com. So thank you for tuning in to this episode of ClearedCast. I'm Katie Keller, Editorial Communications Manager with ClearedJobs.com. And today I'm joined by Ted Hallam. And today we're going to talk about the life of a cleared data scientist. So I'm excited because Ted is actually a former co-worker of mine when I used to support defense contractors. And I continued to try to recruit him once I moved on to new contractors So I'm excited because Ted's story is a little bit different. He didn't start out as a data scientist. So we're going to talk about upskilling and his military experience. So Ted, I really appreciate you joining me today. Absolutely, Katie. Thank you for having me on the show. Wonderful. So I always love to start out with this because with you know 200,000 veterans transitioning out of the military every year, it's you know a huge audience of clearancejobs.com. So could you talk about a little bit, you know, what your experience was in the military? Sure. I'll go back even just a, a little bit earlier than that. I was in my freshman year of college when 9/11 happened. And I almost joined the National Guard because I wanted to get involved right away. But then I thought long and hard about it. I talked with some friends and family. And there's so many people who, if they're in college and they join the military, maybe they don't end up going back to college and finishing their degree. So I did go ahead and finish my bachelor's degree. But as soon as I finished my degree, I knew that I wanted to go into the military. I knew I wanted to go in the Army. I knew I wanted to be an intelligence analyst. I immediately enlisted June of 2006, went through the... Um, initial training for infantry style training at the basic training, and then on to the all source intelligence analyst training. After that, I was stationed at Fort Stewart with the third infantry division. It, it was kind of ironic because I ended up only spending about a year total at Fort Stewart. It was just a crazy time between the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. I was deployed most of, I was either in training or deployed most of my entire enlistment. But in the beginning, like I said, I was an all-source intelligence analyst. My designation was a 96 Bravo. During the first half of my enlistment, that changed to 35 Fox. So anybody in the military more recently is probably more familiar with that designation. My first deployment was almost immediately after getting to Fort Stewart. I think I was only there for about three weeks. They were already more or less done with their pre-deployment spin-up by the time I got there. And we were boots on ground by March of 2007. That was a 15-month deployment for me. I was in Baghdad, and I, that whole, whole deployment, I was a specialist. So for non-Army folks, that's a E4 rank or pay grade. And then I spent about a year in garrison after that deployment. Towards the very end of that year, I got promoted to sergeant. And then that was during our pre-deployment field exercises, and we were out the door to Iraq again. That time I was in the Diyala province, and I was there from October 2009 until November 2010. A little bit shorter deployment that time. The first deployment was about 15 months. Second deployment was about 13 months. You can imagine after, in total, I've got about 28 months deployed, and I'm I, this is only my first enlistment in the military. So I've, I've already kind of decided 
you know, this has been a great experience, but it's probably, I'm probably not going to make a career out of the military. It was on that second deployment, Katie, as you alluded, you'll be very familiar with the counterinsurgency targeting program as you've recruited for those positions before. But I met an analyst there in Diallo province who was with the counterinsurgency targeting program. He was in Iraq just like me, but whereas I was with the conventional army unit, he was embedded with Green Berets at, at an advanced operating base or AOB. His responsibility was to build counterinsurgency targeting packages to support multiple operation detachment alphas or ODAs. And I thought, man, this guy has got it figured out because just like me, he had been with the conventional army and he got out, went to Charlottesville, Virginia, got plugged into this program and immediately started to support SOCOM units. And I was like, you know, I know how to do this. I've got the skills. You've, you know, you've got to be an all source intelligence analyst who likes and is good at doing the analytical work. You sort of have to, you, you can you can shed a lot of the bureaucracy that comes with the military and all that stuff. And for me, I thought that this is fantastic. So I developed a relationship with him. He got to know me, got to know my analytical abilities, and he's like, you know, you'd be a great fit for this program. I'd be willing to su- submit a referral for you. So for me, my transition out of the military to civilian life was relatively fluid, I guess, compared to what a lot of people experience. That was mostly because I transitioned to this civilian contract program supporting the military. And for all intents and purposes, for a couple of years, my life didn't really change a whole lot. I did very similar work. I continued a pretty intense uh, deployment rotation overseas. For me, the, the day-to-day life wasn't all that different. And so that, that was that just, I know you had asked about my military experience and my early background. So from college all the way through my enlistment and then the initial transition into civilian life, that's what it looked like. And for me, that transition was maybe a little bit easier than for some people just because my first civilian jobs ended up being very military-esque, even down to being embedded with military units for like 19 months at a time sometimes. That is one tactic or perk with folks that were coming out of the army with your MOS or similar MOSs coming onto the counterinsurgency targeting program was easy because you do have those deployment rotations. You are working with, uh, you know, some of the same intelligence pieces that, you know, folks from the army were working on as well. It sounds like it was an easy military transition for you. Did you have any struggles or did you see some of your you know, colleagues or cohorts experiencing some struggles that you would be able to glean insights on for our audience listening today? I, I would say the only struggle I really had was the timeline was fairly compressed. So when I got out of the army, I had actually been stop lost. So when I was ready to depart, there was, you know, usually you go through an ACAP process and there's a few months of preparation to go to the civilian world. I got back from deployment and the army was like, you're not even supposed to be here. You were supposed to ETS months ago. You basically have like two weeks to get off base. So I had to do all of my out processing really quickly. Luckily, I, I had a plan in place. You know, I had already interviewed with the company that ended up hiring me. So I make the geographic transition, move from Fort Stewart to the Charlottesville, Virginia area, start working. And my wife was teaching school. So she had to finish out the school year down 
near Fort Stewart. And I had just sort of made the assumption that I wouldn't need to go anywhere. I knew I knew the job included deployments as a responsibility, but I didn't think I would need to go anywhere that quickly. But as it turned out, I got on the job late December 2010 and they were needing me to go on a deployment as a civilian contractor by like late February is when they first mentioned it to me. And then I was actually deployed by like April of, mm-hmm. of 2011. So in that short span of time, I had to get spun up on my new job, which was fairly similar to what I'd done in the military, but still there were some nuances to it. And I had to go ahead and find a home and get it purchased so that my wife would have a place to move with all of our stuff when the school year ended in May of 2011. By a miracle, I was able to get all that done, but it was it just felt super compressed like a pressure cooker to, to sure. make all that happen in that short period of time. And that was a challenge that I experienced. I think that program still exists, although the war situation is a lot different now. So I, I doubt that people making that transition now would be pressured to deploy so quickly. But back then, there were just so many places where analysts were needed and the supply of analysts wasn't meeting demand. So um, it created that dynamic that that I experienced. Thinking about your experience in the military as an all-source analyst, you moved on supporting the counterinsurgency targeting program. You did some open source analysis and then moved on to cyber command. But we worked together on the biometrics intelligence program. That's what I was recruiting for at Integral Consulting Services. And I feel like that was kind of the pivoting point for yourself. After working on the BIP, you moved on to, I think it was NGIT-CAS, or a cyber contract supporting the Department of Army. And you also got a couple of certifications. So if you could talk a little bit about how you upskilled there and started to work more along the lines of cyber incorporating the intelligence, because I know that a lot of our folks that are on clearancejobs.com, they're interested in upskilling or pivoting their career path. So could you talk about that a little bit? Sure, absolutely. I've heard the saying before that good things are planned for and great things happen all at once. And one of the pitfalls, or some people view it as a pitfall with contracting, is you can be on a contract, you can love your work, you can love the company you work for. After a certain period of time, the contract comes up for recompete, and maybe the prime on the contract doesn't win, and then that upsets the Apple card, and you either have to go to work for a different company, or you just find a different contract altogether. That's what happened to me in like late 2017, early 2018. The company that I worked for was the prime on a contract. I loved what I was doing. I was a team lead. I was doing identity intelligence work, which is close cousin of that counterinsurgency targeting program work that I had done for a number of years. And I was supporting a SOCOM customer. So life was good, but my company lost the contract. And I really liked the company that I worked for at the time. As you said, Katie, you and I worked for the same company. And so I I thought, you know, I think I just want to stay with the company and just see where see where that takes me. We put our heads together and they found a spot for me on this all-source intelligence cyber analysis contract, supporting the same government customer. And it was when I got started doing that work, is th- that was my first exposure ever, the first time I ever encountered this thing called data science. And it wasn't a part, a main part of my work. It was just something I sort of bumped up against on the periphery. But the more I started to learn about it, the more I thought, my God, in 10 years, I don't think anyone's going to be doing intelligence analysis the way 
that they do it today. I think this would be considered like the Stone Ages. And so that that was just sort of an intuition that I had throughout like the spring and early summer of 2018. And then at the DoD IIS conference in August of that year, General Tony Thomas, who was the commander of SOCOM at the time, gave a keynote address. And his entire keynote address was about how they had spent the previous 13 months retooling the intelligence apparatus of SOCOM to be totally data-driven. And he talked about how, in some cases, that had meant taking regular intel analysts, sending them to training or upskilling, as you said. Or, in other cases, it was a matter of taking an actual data scientist, co-locating them in the same cubicle with an intelligence analyst, and then making that, essentially making that intelligence analyst data science enabled. And so, when I heard that keynote address, that sort of confirmed or, or affirmed the intuition that I had had earlier that year. And that was like a trigger for me. Immediately, I decided, okay, this is a real thing. This is something that's going to be important because it's going to reshape, or I believe it's going to reshape. And I've already seen that in the intervening two years start to play out what it means to be an intelligence analyst. And I don't want to be behind the power curve. So I immediately started applying to grad schools, started doing a few of the, what they call massively open online courses or MOOCs, and started to go through this metamorphosis from being an intelligence analyst to being a data scientist. I love your story because it isn't traditional, but it does show or it should give confidence and some of our listeners that they can pivot their career. I mean, it takes a lot of dedication. You went through schooling, you know, but it can be done. So following doing that cyber contract, you ended up becoming a data engineer for uh, a, a few different companies to where you are today doing data science for a contract that I used to recruit for. <laughs> so uh, tell us a little bit about that journey, you know, doing school while you were working. H- how did all of that work? In a word, it was intense, but the nuts and bolts of it were I started applying to graduate school programs, not really knowing what I was doing. I didn't have any family or cr- close friends that had been to, to grad school. And to be candid with you, in the beginning, I wasn't even confident I could do it. It was just something I felt the most extreme conviction that I needed to do. I needed to figure it out just because I felt like it was the future. And, you know, I was also inspired because in March of that year, March of 2018, my wife and I had our first child, our daughter. And so part of that was just, you know, I had, it was very heavy on my mind at that time. I want my daughter to grow up and think of her father as someone who reached for the stars and not somebody who just settled for what was easy. So that that was really good pressure in my life at the time to make me try this thing that maybe I wouldn't have otherwise. But first I applied to Northeastern University in Boston. I got in there, but through a crazy turn of events and, and meeting the director of faculty of the program, I also applied and got accepted to the Master of Science and Business Analytics program at the College of William & Mary. And when I held those two programs up against one another, the one at William & Mary was much more rigorous. And again, I thought, well, I don't know if I could do this. Then again, I didn't know that I could get accepted to the school in the first place. And, and I was really pushing myself to do the absolute best that I could be as prepared as I could possibly be for this new data science adventure. So I thought, well, you know, I might go down in flames, but I'm just going to do it. And so I ended up going with William and Mary. I guess I, I wanted, I'd like to stop and take one second. This is an important point to me for anybody who's listening. I have met people from every type of background at this point who are in data science. There are people who were music majors in undergrad. There were I've met people who did political science for undergrad. People 
there, sure, there are plenty of people who majored in computer science and engineering, but there's tons of liberal arts majors in data science too. It's really about the dedication that you bring to the table and how committed you are. And also another big stumbling block for me was I, I didn't really feel like I was very good at math in high school. I didn't have a lot of help at home when it came to math, which didn't help. Honestly, that was one thing that sort of steered me away from doing a more quantitative undergraduate degree. But I made up my mind that I wasn't going to let that hold me back either. I said, you know, if there are parts of the math that I don't understand, I'm just going to go back and learn them. I might have to spend five times more time on my assignments than my classmates, but I'll get through it. And I did. I would really like to get that message to anybody who's listening, who's transitioned out of the military, who maybe has heard about data science or machine learning or data engineering. And you think, wow, that sounds cool. I've, I've heard the headline from the Harvard Business Review about it being the sexiest job of the 21st century, but I don't think I could do it. It's not true. You absolutely can. It may be the hardest thing you've done in your entire life, but you can do it. I'll, I'll get off that soapbox because that's a really important thing to me. Going back to where I left off, I got accepted to the College of William & Mary. I was starting classes in January, but I did want to, to broadcast to my network that I was making this transition from Intel Analysis to Data Science. So I just changed my headline on my profile to say, Aspiring Data Scientist. About two weeks later, a company reached out to me, a great, great company. They're sort of like a clear defense contracting startup. They focus on data and analytics. Then they have a whole different side of the company that focuses on STEM education. The name of the company is Stemboard, a fantastic company. Um, the CEO is Aisha Bo. She's a former NASA aerospace engineer. Phenomenal. I was so lucky that they reached out to me. But one of their employees reached out to me and said, hey, I think you'd be a great fit. Um, would you would you be willing to do a phone call and talk about a potential opportunity? And so just as a courtesy, I, I called them back mostly to explain that they're, I thought they'd made a mistake. I let them know, hey, at this point, everything with me is aspirational. I've made this decision. I've been accepted to school, but I don't even start classes until January. And the response shocked me. They said, well, what you need to understand is we could hire someone directly out of university. But then they're pretty much just going to have to be on company overhead, doing some administrative job for at least a year while we put them in for a clearance, if the client will even support that. On the other hand, you're obviously interested. You've already taken steps to start learning by doing, uh, doing courses like data camp courses, Udacity courses, which I'd started to do on my own. And you're going to be starting graduate level courses in just a couple of months. And every day you come to work, you're going to be more and more knowledgeable and more and more useful. So you've got the clearance, you've got the polygraph. In my case, I had a polygraph. They said, won't you consider coming on board with us? We're a small company. You grow with us, we'll grow with you, and it'll be a great situation. And I said, sign me up. That sounds fantastic. Uh, I had no idea that, that was going to be their perspective. I just assumed that there had been a misunderstanding if they thought I had skills that I didn't have. And so I wanted to clear that up. But turned out they understood exactly where I was and they were okay meeting me there and then helping me grow. So I started, to be honest, you mentioned it was a data engineer role. That is what my profile reflects because that was the official title. But as is often the case, and Katie, you'll understand this, the way the contract was written, they had a billet for a data engineer, but the actual work need was the day-to-day -day responsibilities were more like that of a 
junior data scientist, which really, that dovetailed really well with where I was at at that point in time. So while I was officially there under the title of data engineer, the day-to-day -day work was more like that of a junior data scientist. And I did that for about a year. So that worked out really well. Moving on from your journey as clear data scientist, currently you've been doing that for a few years now. If we could talk a little bit about the community group that you're starting online, what that's geared toward, and I know you're toward, and I know you're that you're interested in starting a podcast. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So there was the process that that you and I talked through, where I didn't know if I could do this transition to data science. I didn't know if I could do all the math that was involved. I was intimidated just by the process of trying to apply and get into grad school. And I eventually met people through social media were very helpful, critical even, and and helping me feel my way through that process. It was so much more, there was so much more ambiguity than there needed to have been, um, especially when there are so many veterans out there and we can all give of our experience and help one another. I initially, to be honest with you, had thought that maybe there were 50 veterans in total that had ever made this transition to data science. Turns out, the more I've dug into it, I found out that there are at least, there are hundreds, if not thousands of us. And so I've now fought through this process of going back to grad school and picking up these skills. I've met at least 150 other people who have. So there's no reason why this pro process needs to be intimidating or ambiguous to new veterans who are separating from the military that want to go this route. And so this community that we've started is meant to just remove that ambiguity and that uncertainty and that sense of that people have that they're taking on a big risk. Answer questions. You know, if someone says, I don't know exactly how to formulate a personal statement to go to grad school, there is a whole community of us that can help you with that, that can provide example templates of, you know, what a good personal statement looks like. There are people who don't know the best schools to consider, or maybe they get out of the military and they're thinking just, I need to be economical. And they're looking at maybe all the cheaper schools that aren't necessarily going to best prepare them. A lot of people come out of the military, they know they have a GI Bill benefit or post 9-11 GI Bill benefit, but they don't fully understand that benefit. They don't understand you know, that it pays up to a certain amount of money per year. If they go to a cheaper school, in effect, they're just throwing a lot of their benefit away when they could go to a better school with more name recognition, better curriculum, better professors, and be that much better prepared to take on this awesome field of data science. So that's really what this community is all about. You mentioned the podcast. We've started to develop an online community and you know, I'll make sure you get the links and all that. Mm -hmm. The stuff can be in the show notes. Um, it can be a challenge you know, when it's just text on a screen to have the human element and have those relationships form. So the idea behind the podcast is, is multifaceted. Probably the biggest one is to have actual members of the community who have made this change, this metamorphosis from whatever they once were. Data science is such a young field, almost all of us who are in it used to be something else before, and now we're a data scientist. So I want to bring members from that community on as guests on the show and just have them tell their story. Tell us about what they used to do, much like I'm doing here with you today. Tell us what they used to do, what their transition looked like, how they maneuvered that process, and then what they do now. And usually I'll have them talk at length about something that they, a focus area for them, something that they're really good at, something they're interested in. A few other 
flavors of episodes that we're going to have on the show, directors of certain programs. So if, if you're a director of a Master of Science and Data Science program, Master of Science and Data Analytics program, Master of Science and Business Analytics program, from any reputable accredited school, we would love to have those folks come on the show and talk to us about what their program entails, why it's a great program for veterans, and the sort of jobs that their program will prepare people to, to transition from the military and go into industry and be successful. Another flavor of episode, we want to have Veterans Education Benefits Administrators come on and talk through all those things that can be intimidating to newly ETS service members about how to take, best take advantage of all their education benefits. It can be a really intimidating thing to try to tackle at first, but if you have basically a guide to, to tell you, okay, you start here and these are the forms you submit and these are the timelines that you need to get them in, this is what you're going to get. It, it can take something that seems very murky and intimidating and make it very clear and remove a lot of that anxiety. Those are some of the goals of the podcast. The podcast is purely there to support the community and introduce the community to its members. Um, because once you come on the show, I do an interview with you for 30 minutes to an hour. You're no longer just a name on a screen. You're now a human being who's done this, who's made this transition. At that point, people in the community feel like they know you. But in addition to that, our new members that are joining, who are these folks who are transitioning from the military to data science, that serves as an inspiration to them. They get to hear a flesh and blood story of someone like them who used to be in the Army, used to be in the Marine Corps, used to be in the Air Force, Navy, or Coast Guard. They had a dream to become a data scientist, and they did it. And you get to hear the story of how they did it. And then you believe you can do it. And so that's what we want to do. I love the idea because it is really important to highlight some of these stories so that future transitioning military can, you know, feel that confidence. So I'm excited to see how that flushes out. And I love these types of grassroots groups. You know, we have groups on clearancejobs.com, you know, data science groups. But, I, I, you know, these types of communities are, are very important. For the work that we do, again, for, you know, seeing that there is a human being that can do this and that you can do this. Any other closing tips for anyone looking maybe to get into data science, start from scratch that you would have for folks today? Be bold. Don't let it intimidate you. It's a almost unparalleled field in terms of its breadth and depth. I tell people often that I try to learn something new every day. I'm going to do that for the rest of my career. And at the end of my career, 30 years from now, I'm still probably only going to know the tip of the iceberg. But that's okay because your job isn't going to require you to know everything. Data science is relevant to every field. And so you're going to get hired to do data science in one area. And that's the part that you need to be worried about knowing. So don't feel like you have to learn all of it. The next thing is... You can have analysis paralysis, especially if you have an analytical mind, which would be good if you're wanting to go into the field of data science. If nothing else, if you think that data science and machine learning might be for you, start one of these massively open online courses, one of these MOOCs. Go to DataCamp, go to Udacity. The courses are relatively inexpensive. Sometimes, depending on the platform, sometimes it's only just a, a very reasonable monthly subscription fee. And you can do the first few courses and just sort of try it on for size to see if it's for you. And then if it is, great. Well, then maybe you pull the trigger on using your veterans education benefits to pursue something more formal 
go back and get your undergraduate degree in data science. There's a number of four-year degree programs now. Or if you already have a four-year degree, then use your benefits to go back and get a master's degree. Don't allow yourself to be intimidated by the breadth and depth to the point where you just sort of procrastinate and procrastinate and procrastinate and never do anything. Start small. And then if those small, you know, dipping your toe in the water works out well, then go on to larger preparatory efforts. And then again, I'll just say, as you get into data science and you look at some of the fundamental skills, you know, if you're looking at a graduate program, you're looking at some of the prerequisite math courses, you know, maybe you don't have a deep background in statistics, or maybe you don't have a deep background in calculus. Don't let that stop you. This is a phenomenal career field. It's probably one of the most lucrative careers you can transition into out of the military. And there's a, it's incredibly fulfilling. I mean, when you build your first machine learning model that works well, and you see you've got an algorithm that now can make accurate predictions about some aspect of reality, that's incredibly fulfilling. So it's worth all the hard work. You can absolutely do it. I firmly believe anyone can do it. Just don't let yourself be intimidated and have faith in yourself. Sure. All great advice. And, you know, data science is certainly here to stay. So uh, again, Ted, I I really appreciate you joining me today on this episode of Cleared Cast. I I ask everybody this question who, you know, has supported our military. Do you have a favorite place that you were stationed and why? I had one official duty station, which was Fort Stewart, Georgia. It's if you've ever been there, it's uh, sort of in the middle of a swamp. So um, (laughs) and then most uh, I spent actually more time in Baghdad. So those are my choices, Baghdad or Fort Stewart. I suppose Fort Stewart uh, edges <laughs> out Baghdad slightly, right? Sure. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> you know, Ted, thanks for your service. Thanks for sharing your story. I, I think this story is one that would appeal to anyone working in the defense industry. This is Katie Keller, editor at clearancejobs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of ClearedCast. For more information on career and recruiting advice, visit news.clearancejobs.com.